Right, we got some fast people. Second Corinthians chapter five. <clears throat> Let me hear some amen. Right. When we were gonna do this mini series, I was reading the word, and as I was reading the word, this is the passage that really tugged at my heart. And I couldn't let go of it, and it became just two weeks of information that God had put in my heart, and I wanted to share with you guys and not rush it all last week. Um, I want to read it to you, and especially the first part of the verse. If you could just hear this. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 6, 7, and 8 says this. 2 Corinthians 5, especially, and then we'll flow through 6, 7, and 8. Here we go. It'll come up here if you don't have it. If not... In your Bibles, it says, so we are always confident. There it is, right? Always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. It keeps on, and it says this, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. How many of you have ever heard of that verse? Verse 8, we are confident, yes, twice, Paul says it. We are well-pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Ah. The first part of that passage, so we are always confident. I love how Paul writes that. When are we confident? He says always. <laughs> always confident. I read that, I'm like, well, Paul, you know, you're asking a lot of us. You're asking us to always be confident. There's times where confidence doesn't come that easy. How many of you could say amen? There are times when the last thing we are is confident. Just this week, I had to attend in one day two funerals. One, a member of our church, pray for Michelle. She lost her aunt, and um, we'll pray for her. I promised her at the end of the service. And her baby cousin of four years old, um, we lost them all in one shot. When you go to a funeral like that, what do you say? <laughs> hey, stay confident. Really? I, you know, I just lost my, that young man lost his four-year-old daughter and his mom in one shot. Like, what, what do you tell a 30-year-old that just lost his mom and his daughter of four years old in one night? From there, I flew to New Testament, and I had to do a, a funeral of service, a special service for a 31-year-old man who who ended his life. How do I look at that family and say, hey, be confident? You know, like, how do you do that even in the point of death? How do you, how do you comfort someone in such hardship? You know what I'm saying? Here's Paul, and what an interesting way of saying to be confident. Oh, yeah, always. Always be confident. Now, how? I think that one of the main ways that you and I could always be confident, I really mean this, is if we start reading through the passages of Scripture. Do you want to know when I'm my most confident? I don't know if it's about you. I am my most confident when I think about what my future holds. Am I the only crazy person? I'm going to try to talk to you in this way so I can save my voice. But that's where I'm my most confident at. When I think about what awaits me, what I think about one day where I will live, hopefully, with everyone here. Amen? And when I think about those things, 
There's something about my heart that leaps. I know some people get scared when they think about that, but not me. My greatest joys and my greatest happiness is when I start thinking about eternity. I'm weird like that. I just love to think about what heaven's going to be like. I love to think about what Christ is going to look like. I love to think about those angels that are around his throne, the elders who are going to be dropping these crowns at his feet. I, I just, I, whenever I'm having a, just so you can know what I go through. What do you do to get, to be so happy? I, I'm not always happy. <laughs> but what does give me joy is thinking about the throne room of God. And that one day, I am going to be there forever. Like that brings me joy, even in the darkest hour. When Paul says to always be confident, what does he mean? The Greek word for confident there can also mean be bold. I like this one. Be of good cheer. Like I just shared. How do I say that on someone? Like this week, hey, be of good cheer. How? Have you seen what's laying there? You want me to be of good cheer? And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, last week we spoke about always being confident even at our, anyone remember? At our weakest Because right then and there is where God's power rests upon us. At our weakest is when we are actually at our what? Strongest. (laughs) That was me flexing, yeah? I need to practice. But we are actually at our strongest when we are actually at our weakest. This is what I hope for as I was doing. I'm corny like this. I even wrote even something so dumb like this in my notes, ready? I hope that I can give you some confidence so that you can gain some confidence. I hope so. I hope that today I could give you good news so that you can be of good cheer. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be a called a Christian, but I'll always have a, a sour face on. Like, I want the world to see that I'm a Christian and that there's always joy. Yes, there are not always happy moments, but there's always joy. There's always something to smile about. Even in the darkest hour, even in the worst moments, there's something to always look forward to. And that's what I want this church to be like. That's what I want the people that make up New Life to be like. That there is something different about their face. That there is something different about the way they carry themselves. How they communicate and how they commune with one another. That, That when people look within us and say, what is it about you freaks? We could just say, it's this. It's that we have a confidence in our heart. We have a good cheer that nothing can remove it. And I wrote this down and I truly believe this. Some people just need to be reminded. Some people need to be reminded not once, but what? My wife would be amen right now if she was here. More than once. Twice or three and sometimes more. We just need to be reminded. Sometimes we need a good talk. If I could do anything in my life, I would stop working. (laughs) And all of you are like, amen. And you know what I would want to do for a living? I think that's why God called me to be a pastor. You want to know what I would do? I would love to visit all your jobs. I would love to go to all of your lunch breaks, if you invite me. I would love to go to all of your homes and sit with you and just hear you talk to me for an hour. For an hour. More than that's already here too much. But an, <laughs> but an hour. And hear your story. And hear what's going on. I just love to hear people talk. I love to hear what God's... Just before the service started, I was talking to my brother. And he was just sharing. And I loved it. Because... It brought me joy to see him excited about something that God might be doing in his life. Like, that's awesome. Like, that, encourage, that fuels me instead of draining me. And I think that's why God called me to this call. Because I could hear people and I want to hear people. 
And I want to know what they're going through and, and what they're excited about. But then I know that there's other people, man, that they don't have nothing to say, that what they need is just a good talk. They need a good pep talk in them. They need something just to motivate them. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you don't have a good talk in you, where there's no motivation whatsoever. And the truth is, if you don't have a good talk, I want to help you. I want to remind you. I want to cheer you on. Because you might lack confidence today, and you made yourself think like, well, um, it's all a lost. Everything about my life is a lost. There's no way out. There's no winning here. I doubt it. This is going to be very bad. The rest of my life is going to really suck. If that's you, <laughs> man, I just want to cheer you on. I want to encourage you today. This is my dream. Ready for today, my goal for today, that when I say amen, everyone is smiling, and we leave here to have an amazing Sunday, regardless of how the rest of your week went. Let's practice our smiles. All right, good. We're getting there. As a sports fan, I've been very frustrated. How many Miamians can say amen? <laughs> the heat brought some joy to our lives for the last few years, but now I have a feeling they're going to make us sad again. But as a fanatic of sports, I know what it is to root for a team year in and year out, being promised that this is the year. Should we name any names? No. The offense. Because... <clears throat> Can I just vent for a second? I'm a big Miami Dolphins fan, right? I don't know how much longer I could do this. <laughs> I can't stand when the Dolphins score a touchdown and they play the song. Because we're the Miami Dolphins. No, you're not that Miami Dolphins. <laughs> you used to be in the 70s and Marino tried, but you're, you haven't been that for... No, stop singing it. Make a new song. But every time that song comes out when they make a touchdown in the stadium... I get happy because I think like, yeah, we're going to come back. We're not. <laughs> Even close. But I know what it is. <clears throat> I know what it is year in and year out to be disappointed. To be promised that this is the year, but every year to be let down, to be teased. How many of you could say teases are frustrating, man? I don't want to be teased by my sports team. Like, I want the banner instead of saying this is the year. I wanted to say, we're no good. And that way, when I drive through the Palmetto and I see the Miami Dolphins, fins up, just tell me the truth, fins down. Like, we're going to go down. We're not good. Like, tell me the truth already because I can't deal with this anymore. I can't. I don't want that to be your Christian walk. I don't want it to be this facade. <laughs> like, Christ stop! And then all our lives are like, well, really, no, it sucks. Christ is not even there. Like, that's, that's false. That's not biblical if we're living like that. The dolphins, they could keep that trend, but not us. We, we are different than those organizations because those organizations, the Bible says that they fall back and, and they turn to ashes and everything of this world turns into dust again. But we belong to an organism that lives forever. We are always up. We are always on the best side. We win, church. We win. And I want us to have confidence in that, that we win. Last week, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, spoke greatly to us about at our weakest. And today, I just want to move back a few chapters to chapter 5 in the same book, in 2 Corinthians 5, and see what else Paul tells the church in the same letter of, to the church of Corinth. And this reminder, I know it's going to bless you today, my sharing this to you, as I get out of this introduction, I want you to catch this. It is not to tease you today. It's not to play with your emotions, because if you've come here long enough, you know very well, I and we are not that people. 
It's not to play with your emotions. And it's not to cause you to believe in a false hope. My sharing this to you today is totally different. I want everyone here to know today that you have a confidence in you. And if you feel like you do not have confidence, I pray that you would have a confidence at the end of this service. That it doesn't matter what's risen up in your life or what's been taken away from your life, that we will always be confident. Always confident. Everyone say, why? That wasn't everyone. Everyone say, why? That's a little bit better. Because we win. We win. In Christ, yes, there is loss. I experienced it this week. There is loss. Sometimes when we're in a game, the other team does score a little bit more than us. But you know, there's a whole other quarter to play. Don't think just because you outscored us in the third that we can't outscore you in the fourth. That's how Christian walk is like. Sometimes they score more in the first quarter. Sometimes they score a little bit more in the first few innings. But in Christ and in Christianity, yes, there is, yes, there is a loss in some innings, in some quarters. Yes, there is loss in our families. Yes, there is loss in our own personal lives. But I want to share something with you if you're taking notes. There is never losing. There is never a final score that you lose. There is victory in Christ. Amen? I know that at times in our lives we don't see it, man. But I'm going to tell you guys right now. There is. Paul said it last week in the letters of Paul, even when we are weak there, when there is nothing that can come from me, even there we win. And I want you to see this today and be blessed by this truth today. Are we all in 2 Corinthians 5 so we can get into the word? In 2 Corinthians 5, he starts off in the first five verses. If you remember anything how we just started a few minutes ago, you remember that I started in verses 6, 7, and 8. Remember? Six, seven, eight. But watch what I'm going to do. I just threw that out there so you could know why we got this little series. But what I want to do is now I want to rewind and I want to leave six, seven, eight. Because watch this. We're going to close off later with six, seven, eight. But before we jump back to six, seven, and eight, I want you to go all the way to the beginning of chapter five to verses one through five. Chapter five, verse one. Chapter five, verse one. Look what Paul says. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent... If it is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. Verse 2, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Look at verse 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a, what does it say? As a guarantee. Another translation might say as a down payment. Well, let's talk about this for a moment. If you look at verses 1 through 5, there's a couple things. There's actually in verse 1, in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5, five things I want to pick on today in each verse. The first verse, verse 1, it says that we have a building. Look what Paul says. We have a house that is from God. I love that. You know, 
If you were here on Wednesdays for the end series, we eventually got to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. Remember that? When we got to Revelation 21 and 22, my enders, my Wednesdayers, what were we talking about on chapters 21 and 22 in Revelation? I'll give you a hint. It's something new. Yeah, the new Jerusalem. It's going to happen a lot. The new Jerusalem. And as we began to speak about the new Jerusalem, remember that verse we got into? The maker of it, the one who created it, the one who is preparing this beautiful place, this new Jerusalem. John says in the book of Revelation that it's filled with, with all these different ornaments. I mean, it's pearls and diamonds and jewels and gold and seas of glass. I mean, you can't even draw a picture that will perfectly paint what the new Jerusalem will even look like. It is beyond your imagination. It's 1,400 miles this way, 1,400 miles that way, 1,400 miles this way, another 1,400 miles back to me. And then like if you thought that was it, no, it's also 1,400 miles high. It's a beautiful city. Paul was so struck, John was so struck by it that the angel took him by the spirit. He stood he stood on a mountain called Mount Zion. And as he stood on the mountain, he said, Oh my God, I saw her. She was beautifully adorned like a bride is for her husband. And she came down from God. Because God's hands released it. God made the new Jerusalem and put her there. And he says, and there is where the bride lives. There is where she stays. There is where the temple of God is. There is where God's people will live year after year after year after year. There needs to be no more sun. There needs to be no more light, no more moon. Because Christ and the Lamb, its glory is its light. You don't need anything to get a fix or to get some joy. Christ is there. It is the temple of God. It is a place that you would never see. it. And I read verse 1. And what is Paul saying to us? Church, you have a building. Church, you have a house from God. Amen. <coughs> Why amen? Because I can't wait to get my new address. I can't wait for the day the Lord says, Hey, you living in this neighborhood and in this townhouse, <coughs> in this house, that time is up. Here's your new address. Come on. Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 11 verse 10 <clears throat> says this. For he, <clears throat> when it's talking about Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is what? <laughs> Abraham, I don't want to get into Abraham. We're going to talk about him in our new series. But Abraham is called, and you'll hear about this next week and the weeks to come, to be stripped away from everything he knew, church, into a new land, into a new place. And Abraham goes because God told him something. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to take you to a land. I'm taking you to a place. I'm taking you to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is me. And that's what Abraham went looking for. Why do you think Jesus... 
thousands of years later, standing before the Pharisees in the book of John chapter 8. And he looks at them and he says, before Abraham was what? I am. And the day that he saw me, he marveled. Do you want to know why Jesus says that? Because Jesus was explaining to them, Hebrews 11, that Abraham finally made it to the city that God had built, whose designer and builder was God. And he said when he made it there, he marveled. And who do you think you are, Jesus? You're not even 50 years old. And you say, you know Abraham who lived a couple thousand years ago. And Jesus says, you don't understand this because before Abraham was me, I am. Guys, I want you to know today the same way that he built this city, the same way that he's building this eternity for these saints in the scriptures, he is building it for us. Verse 1, I could be confident always because I know that I don't belong here. I have a house that is being built for me. I have a place that I will reign in. It will not be called Planet Earth, City of Miami, County of Dade, Town of Kendall, Block of Sunset Drive, and 114th Place. I know that my new address is found in the new Jerusalem in glory and power where there's no more tears, where there's no more pain. I know that I will rest before the presence of God forever. And because of that, I am always, 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 always confident. Because I'm going to win. I'm going to walk into my new home one day. And in verse 2, he says something very interesting in verse 2. He's talking about some clothes. My second point is we will wear new clothes. Some of you are like, no, I spend a lot of money on this. Listen, the new clothes has... You have nothing on what you're going to wear. I know you're into design. I know you're into all that beauty. But I'm going to tell you right now that what God is going to clothe you with, it's a new shell. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Verse 2 teaches us it is a greater appearance. The NLT says it this way. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies. But these heavenly bodies, NLT says, are like new clothes. How many of you grow weary on this earth with this present life and this present body that has been given to you? Can anyone be and admit with me, I do, man. I do. I grow weary at times. Listen to me. I grow weary at times. And I know you do. You can't fool anyone in this room. We grow weary. Why? We're human. Welcome to the human club. I don't know. But we grow weary. And as we grow weary, there is a promise in verse 2. Be confident because your weary bodies will be greater. You will put on new clothes, a new shell, a greater appearance. And I know you grow weary. And I know you wish you could change things about your life. But what is Paul saying to this letter? He says you're going to one day put on a heavenly body that will destroy this life and this body that you now have. Amen. I want to wear it. I want to see my glory in Jesus Christ, my Lord. How many of you can say amen? And then he's talking about getting dressed, right? In new heavenly bodies. But look at verse 3. You'll no longer be found naked. Oh, amen. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is walk around any of you guys naked. That would be so weird. <laughs> That's kind of weird. You won't be found naked. See, once we've been clothed with our new heavenly body, there is nothing that, will, that you and I, listen to this, what does naked mean there? Whenever the Bible talks about being naked, it talks about being ashamed. Did you know that? That's what he means. So when he says you're no longer going to be naked, I want you to catch this. 
You're going to put on your heavenly body. You're going to put on your glory apparel. But as you put on your glory apparel, listen to this. Nothing will ever shame you again. All shame is stripped away. Always confident. Anyone here stick their foot in their mouths all the time? This guy. My God, God says all that shame. All your sin. All your private sin. All that stuff that disgusts you. Everything that makes you naked before me. When I clothe you with holy garments, you will no longer be ashamed. Because now you are in my glory. Hey, how can you and I not be confident in that? How can we not live on this earth that is so short, that is just but a vapor, and not smile a little bit more, and not be confident that we're going to win one day, amen? And here's where it gets to some really good stuff. Verse 4. He starts talking about mortality. Mortality will be swallowed up by life. Point number four in verse four. One translation says it this way. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Anyone ever walked around life? <sighs> ever done that? I did on the way over here today. I was excited to get here, excited to see some of you guys, but in me there was a nice what? <sighs> I could do this one more day. Come on. How many of you have sighed lately? Walked around just sighing. It's almost as if sighing has become a second language to you. How are you doing? <sighs> it's like, whoa. <sighs> this message, this verse says, when we put on our earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies and clothes to let clothe us, but, but rather we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Like, like, the things that I sigh about, God's like, I'm going to swallow those things one day. I'm like, thank you. Like, all that stress, all those problems, all that junk that you deal with, I'm going to swallow it, and I'm going to give you life forever. And, and I love that passage because it teaches us that we are not immortal, not yet. We are mortal with mortal bodies. But our mortality, if you cut yourself, you bleed. If you get hit, you get hurt. I mean, you are mortal. There's nothing that is indestructible about you. You are destructible. But scripture teaches us that it's all going to be swallowed up by life. Well, how can I be assured of this, huh? How, how can I put my soul into this, my heart? How can I be 100% about this? You have to read the next verse. Because verse 5 says, he has given us the spirit, the spirit as what? As a guarantee. And when you look up that word in the Greek, the word for guarantee, it is the word that is used to mean down payment or a pledge. So what the scripture is telling us is this, that we've received the spirit from God as a down payment, as a promise to the day that we get paid the full amount. And when is the, full, the day of full amount? When is the day that our payday will come? Does anyone know? Our payday is exactly what verses 1 through 4 is telling us. Our payday is the day in which, the day in which he's preparing us for. It is the day that we go to be in eternity with him. 
So, so listen to this. I can always be confident because I have a house from God that awaits me. I have a new shell and a greater appearance that is going to be upon me. I will no longer be found naked and be ashamed. All my size, all my mortality, all my problems will be swallowed up by life. And I am sure of this because the Spirit of God, remember that two weeks ago, has been and is upon me. It is smeared upon me. And because the Spirit of God is on me, it's a guarantee. It is a promise. It is a down payment that Regal, I'm giving you this now as a promise because one day you will receive the full payment, the full amount. Well, what is it? It's me. It's reigning with me. It's the new Jerusalem. It is the eternal kingdom of God. Stay confident, Regal. You win. And that's what God tells me. That's what God tells me that I win. That you win. That we win. And we win because the Spirit of God is on us. That's why the Bible says the same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead will also raise you up. Because that Spirit is a seal. And that seal, it is the promise of God that one day you will leave this earthly home. And you will go to the place in which you belong to, heaven with our God. Amen? So after we read verses 1 through 5, can we go back and visit verses 6, 7, and 8 again? Go back to verse 6. Just roll your eyes down a little bit and you'll find it. It says what? So we are what? We're always confident. Well, after you just read verses 1 through 5, how can you not always be confident? No wonder Paul wrote that. No wonder why Paul said, hey, mortal bodies and all these different, immortal and all these different things, new home. New, after he explains all these things in those five verses. No wonder on verse 6 he says, you are always confident. Look what he says. Knowing that we are at home in this body, that while we are at home, we're actually absent from the Lord. So watch this. You're living now. That's a good sign. Everyone say amen. I'm alive. But there's a joy in you. There's a confidence in you. Watch this. Because as you know that you are alive here today, you also know that what? You're absent from where you really belong. And where you really belong is at the presence and at the feet of your God. Man, I can't wait. Always confident knowing this. I am, Lord. I really am. Like, I can't wait. And then he says in verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. I like that. We walk by a different standard. We have a chip on our shoulder. We do, guys. Start walking like that. I love when people look and say, you have a weird walk about you. I was like, how can I not? I'm a child of a king. I think I was just born in that way. I have like a little limp. I don't do it on purpose. I, I don't know. Maybe my family knows something. I don't know that happened to me or something, but... But we walk confident. We walk by a different standard. We live for a world that is yet unseen. We are different. We live for something different than this world. We, the Bible teaches us that we walk and we live now, now, in what is called the shadow. We live in a shadow. Did you guys know that? Oh, you're like, no wonder I've seen shadows lately. That's a whole other message. Talk to me after service. But we live in a shadow, a shadow, yeah, of greater things that are to come, the Bible says. Shadow of greater things. 
It's awesome. We walk by faith, he says, not by sight. Listen, church, if you're taking notes, this verse is what drives the church. What drives the church? That you and I don't walk toward according. We don't walk according to what we see. We walk according to what we believe. Come on, man. We walk according to our faith, not our sight. And that's what drives us. Not what we can see, but the things that we yet have not seen. The things that we long to be present with. How can we not always be confident? Look at verse 8 with me. We are what? (laughs) One translation says fully. We are fully confident, but there's a comma. And what does he say after that? Yes. We are confident. Everyone say it with me. Yes. We are confident. We are confident. We are confident. Yes. You want to know why? Look what he says. Well pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We are confident because we have somewhere else to go. And that somewhere else is for the rest of time. How can I not be confident about that? We're confident, yes. We are assured. We have this strong belief. We are successful. Whether death or life, we are always confident because the Bible teaches us that at the end of the day, we always win in Christ. Amen? Last night I was listening to a song that came up and I heard it in my, in my time there and I want to share this song with you. It's from Building 429. It's called Where I Belong, if you've ever heard it. I'm going to read you that. I'm not going to sing it to you. <laughs> Sorry, that. come on, sing it, baby. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but I could ask Tito to come up here and say nothing. <laughs> but it's called Where I Belong. Listen to these words. After everything that I just shared with you, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Can I keep reading? So when the dog, when, when the, when the, who let the dogs out? Wrong song. <laughs> Sorry. So when, so when the walls come falling down on me and when I'm lost in the current of a raging sea. Look what he says next. I have this blessed assurance holding me. Huh? All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. When the earth shakes, I want to be found in you. When the lights fade, I want to be found in you. Say it with me, church. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. I feel like I could end the message right there. But I'm not. Some of you are like, you should have done it. You should have ended it. Can I read a passage? Hebrews, if you're taking notes, chapter 10. Look what Hebrews says. I will wrap it up soon, though. It's not a long message. Look what Hebrews says. In verse 35, Hebrews chapter 10, he says this. The author says this. Therefore, 
Therefore, do not, what does he say? Do not cast away. You want to know what that word, cast, that phrase cast away means? Don't throw it away. Don't throw away. Don't cast away your what? Wow, what a perfect verse for today. Don't throw away. Don't cast away your confidence. But, but I love what he says next. Why not, huh? Why not? Why not? Because you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've dealt with. You don't know, my goodness, what my life has been like. Why should I not throw away all my godly confidence? He says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do it. Why? Because look at the next part of the verse. It has great reward. Don't do it, church. Don't throw it away, your confidence, because it has a great reward. How many of you could say amen? Well, what's the reward? We already, <clears throat> we already read it in verses 1 through 5. Our reward. Look at 36 of Hebrews 10. For you have need of endurance so that you have done the will of God that you may what? That you may what? Why? Why are you going to receive the promise? Why? We, we, come on. You, you, we're in your address. We, we're studying scripture together because you've already been given a what? You've already been given a what? A down payment. And now Hebrews is saying what? Don't let go. Don't get rid of your confidence because what? The down payment that God has put in your life, you will receive the full amount soon. Man. Soon. And because of that, because we don't know the time or the hour or the day, you need to endure. You're in need of endurance. How many of you are in need of endurance? So you can receive the full promise. 37. <clears throat> For yet a little while, and he who is coming, he will not, he will come and he will not tarry. You know what tarry means, right? He will not delay. What is he saying? The writer of Hebrews. Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's not going to be like, ah, I don't know. No, he knows. He's coming. He hasn't changed his mind about coming. Verse 38 says, now the just, the ESV says, now the righteous, the righteous, the just, they shall live by faith. But if anyone, everyone say anyone, anyone draws back. I love that phrase, draws back. I looked it up. It means this, anyone who shrinks, who shrinks back. Anyone who shrinks back, draws back. Look what he says. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This is awesome. But we are not those that draw back. We are not those that shrink. Back to perdition. What's another word for perdition? Back to destruction. We're not those. But we are of those who what, church? Come on, I hope it's in you. We are of those who believe, believe to the saving of our souls. We don't go back. We don't shrink back to destruction, but we have faith. We are the ones whose souls are preserved. How many of you could say amen? What, what is the author of Hebrews saying? You are different than them. You've been given a down payment. Don't give up. Receive your full reward one day. You remain confident. Always confident because you win. You receive it at the end. Amen? A theologian by the name of Leslie Newbingen said this. I think we'll put it up. This theologian said this, proper confidence is the type of confidence that we can have in our ministry, or have in our lives, 
Because we have God on our side. In other words, it is the confidence that we can have because we know that we have been called not by ourselves. How many of you can say amen? Or by some other human, but rather, as God tells Jeremiah, by the one who formed us. I'm confident. Let me tell you why I'm confident. Because yes, I have a father, and yes, I have a mother, and yes, I have a family. But if my father or my mother ever really thought that they are the ones that formed me, they are wrong. They're the ones that God used. The one who formed me is God. The one who formed you is God. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for helping out, but God did it. I'm informed by the one who made all things. In the womb, he consecrated you, he consecrated me before we were ever born. He called us and set us apart. I'm always confident in that. I'm going to read, let me see, two passages and then I'm going to end. When, I'm gonna, when I get to the second one, the worship team could come up. The first one is found in Luke. Luke 13, so now you know that we're really wrapping it up. Thank you for dealing with my annoying voice today. Are we all there? Amen. Luke 13, here's Jesus doing ministry. I read from all over, New King James mostly, and then ESV mostly. This passage, just so you could get some key words, I'm going to simplify it a little bit. I'm going to read from the NLT in this passage. Look what he says in the next one too, but watch what he says here. He says, One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been been bent double for 18 years, so she was bent. Some sort of condition that she had. She was unable to stand up straight. Verse 12 When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, Dear woman, look what he says next. You are healed of your sickness. I'm going to just stop for a moment because we're talking about confidence, right? Like, does anyone see any confidence displayed here in these what? Three verses? What's the first confidence you see? Anyone anyone can take a shot? What is the confidence? Okay, what is one confidence that you see? Huh? Brother, he is on point. <laughs> I, didn't, I, 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 I was scared that no one was going to say it. I can't. Amen. <laughs> That's actually my second point because I figured no one was going to get that one. I thought everyone was going to say what? Woman, you are what? Yeah, I was confident. You're healed. Shoot, who, when was the last time you went up to someone that was like, you're healed? <clears throat> no, I'm not. That didn't work the way I wanted it to work. I thought everyone was going to say that one, James. Good job. But James said something very important. The first form of confidence that we see, it's in the first two words. One Sabbath. That's huge. That's massive. Let me tell you why. Because it was illegal to do this on the Sabbath. It was illegal to do anything. You couldn't even breathe on the Sabbath. I mean, it was weird, these laws. And it was illegal to heal a woman on the Sabbath. How weird is that, huh? He knew that if he would do this, if he would heal a woman on this day, That he would be questioned. Hey, he would even be persecuted and arrested. He knew that. Jesus knows that. Every Jew in Jerusalem and Israel knows that. But you know what I love about Jesus? It doesn't stop him. Man never stops him. Man-made laws never stop. Nothing stops him. 
I love this because Jesus, he's not concerned about the public's perception. Like, I'm going to do what I've been called to do. I am what? I'm confident in what I'm doing here. Confident. He didn't even care about the situation that it seemed impossible. Like, come on, go up to someone and tell them they're healed. Like, if you were rolling with Jesus, you're like, don't do it, man. What happens if she doesn't get healed? He's like, what? Just, I'm confident, man. I'm confident in my God. So the first one was one Sabbath. The second one was he tells her, you are healed. You know, we talk about Jesus. He does have an advantage. He is God. So it's not fair. He has a great track record. He oh, he's at 100% healing. Like, it's not fair. But don't ever get me wrong. I'm not going to be one of these churches that does not believe in healing. You listen to me. I've seen with my very own eyes people get healed before me. And I know God can. I know it. I remember when my father came up to me and I touched him and he had some bumps and he says, um, my cancer came back and they want to start chemo. I think it was next week or in two weeks. I said, no way. That's not what God wants. There's no way God brought you here for that right now. I just I felt that. And I said, come on, we got some oil. We prayed some of the leaders and we laid hands on my father. He went back to the doctor, Jewish doctor, how funny. He says, I don't know what just happened to you. You have the cancer kind of went down. You don't need to do your chemo anymore. Whatever it is that you're doing, Rigo, you go ahead and you keep doing it. I love that he was able to say, Doctor, I know you're a Jew, but I want you to know why this happened. Because Jesus wants you to know that he is your Messiah. <laughs> Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. I'm not making this up, right? Like, oh, this might be a good lie for this message. It's the truth, right? Good. Like, I saw God heal him. I've seen it. I've seen God heal some people in this very church. I've seen that. And I know what the ultimate healing is. The day that we go to be with him, that's the ultimate healing. Sometimes we don't get healed physically here because there's a greater healing that awaits us there. That's what he really longs for. But here's Jesus and nothing stops him. Look at, let's just read the passage just for fun. Ready? Verse 13 on and I'll just go through it. Here it is. So he touches her and instantly she could stand straight. Awesome. How she started to praise God. But then the leader, everyone say the leader in charge. Can, can we be honest? No, no names, no pointing fingers, because if it's me, I'm going to feel real bad and discouraged today. We're talking about an encouraging message. But aren't sometimes some leaders that are in charge so foolish? No? Okay, never mind. I know it, man. Some leaders that are in charge are the, oh my, why are they in charge again? <laughs> Look what the leader in charge does. The leader of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her. Are you serious? You're mad because Jesus healed? You should be like, yo, we're going to have a healing service next week. Everyone come. Instead, he's like, get out. It's crazy, bro. He's mad because he healed her on the Sabbath day. He told you. And look what he says. There's six days out of the week for working these things. Six days. Why didn't you pick one of those days? But you had to do it on the Sabbath. <laughs> Stupid. At least I did it. You could have done it on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. But you picked the Sabbath. Any other day could have worked, but not the Sabbath. Look at verse 15. So the Lord replies and said what? You hypocrite. I love it. He's not scared. He's confident. You are a hypocrite. Hypocrite. Don't each one of you work on the Sabbath day? Don't you untie your ox? Don't you untie your donkey? And don't you go and give it water? That's working. That's working, you just drag your foot and there's, and there's dust, you worked. 
You killed a bug on you. You weren't. Hypocrite. That's what he tells them. I mean, we're not going to pick on other Christians, but there are so many that point at you for all the things that you do that they don't do. And it's just like, come on. I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. Stop trying to point you. Stop. Like, I'm confident in who I serve. Like, now we're in that delicate season, you know, whether do we celebrate Halloween, do we celebrate Christmas? Christmas is from man, and Halloween is from the... And we, it's so, like, touchy, like, what do I say? So, you know, you just don't say anything. It's the best thing to do. Because if you're going to go against Halloween, you go against Christmas, you go against Christmas, you go against St. Valentine's Day. And, you, and it's just like we live in a weird... Our calendars are even wrong. Monday was actually after the moon god. Sunday was actually after the sun god, and we called it Monday, Sunday, after the name of God. And we celebrate Mondays. And we go to work on Mondays, and they're actually carnal holidays. Monday means moon god day. And we call it Monday. Oh, welcome to our Monday. I mean, so we have to be very careful on how we judge others. Amen. We have to be very careful on how we stop loving others. We have to be very careful that we continue to love everyone, regardless of where they're at. I know there's some people that are not where we are at, and I'm not where other people are at. Can I be very honest with you? I need prayer. How many of you could say, I need prayer? So let's pray for one another. Let's love one another. Let's teach rather than judge. Let's sit down and have a Bible study rather than quickly speak and stab. The leader of the synagogue was quickly to, well, you, and he didn't even give time for Jesus to explain himself. So what does Jesus do? He says, this poor woman, she's a Jew like us. She's been held bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she'd be released, even if it is the Sabbath? How, how would you guys answer that? I hope it's, Yeah. Absolutely. Heal her on the come next Sabbath and heal her again. I don't know. That's what Jesus asks. Look at verse 17. This shamed his enemies. Yes. This shamed it. You want to know why he shamed his enemies? Because of his confidence. Imagine a Christ without confidence. But all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Hey, can I point two things that are pointed out in this passage? Point number one. Ready? Have confidence. Because you're doing the work of Christ. What was Christ doing here? The work of his Father, the will. And as we do the work of Christ, that's awesome. Because watch this. Always have confidence in the work that we are doing. Why? Because it's not actually your work. It's the work of God. That is a good spot for an amen to help me out. Because our work, like this right here, it's not our work. It's the work of God. What you're going to go do today, what you're going to do tomorrow for a living, it's the work of God. And here's Jesus. He's not supposed to heal on a Sabbath. You think he cares? No. Because I'm confident in the work of God in my life. Why do I say this? Because you guys know where you belong to. We've already started the service like that. We started the message like that. And now that you know what you belong to, watch this. Let, remember that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven. Stop. On, you said it, on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're confident in what's in heaven waiting for you, come here. Start bringing heaven down to earth now so that other people can see heaven already. What does that mean? Tell someone they're healed. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? What happens if they do get up? Everyone's going to start getting saved up in that workplace. Pray for someone. 
The other day a teacher got sick and people did not know whether it was something serious or not. The energy I felt was everyone was worried. So I went to the teacher, I was gonna cover the class, and I said, right now I could just ignore it, good, I hope everything goes good, or let's pray. Lord, I come against whatever they say she has. I believe that you are a healer and that you could restore, and, and then we prayed. Thank God, I'm not saying that my prayer did it, but thank God it wasn't serious and she's gonna be okay. But how about if we start praying for people and not just saying it on a daily basis? Can you imagine the miracles that we might see all around our families and all around our workplaces? But I can't do that. Yes, you can. Be confident. You win. You win. You belong to heaven. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number one, have confidence because the work that you do is God's work. Number two, the second thing I want to point out in this passage is this. Have confidence because when we go against the current like Jesus did, he promises to always be with us. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as you are at this place, as we end, I want you to turn to 2 Kings and watch what I'm going to end with. I want you to turn to um, chapter 6 of 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter 6. I'll tell you what, if you're there or if you don't have your Bible and it's up there and you could start with us, just stand on your feet as we get ready to close. And we are in Second Kings chapter 6. Awesome passage. Love this passage. In Second Kings 6 verse 8, put your eyes on verse 8. That's where we will start on. It says, when the king of the Syrians was at war with Israel... He would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. Verse 9. But immediately, Elisha, who was the prophet of Israel, the man of God, he would warn the king of Israel. Look what he says. King, do not go near this place for the, for the Syrians are, are planning to mobilize their troops there. Verse 10. So the king of Israel he would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert always. Then the king of Syria became very upset over this. Well, why do you think? Because someone in his camp must be telling our enemies. So he called his officers together and he demanded and he said, Which one of you is a traitor? Which one has been informing the king of Israel of all of my plans? Verse 12, it's not us. My lord, the king, it's not us. Elisha, the prophet, is the one that is doing it. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. Wow. I don't know if I want that gift, but wow. Elisha's miles away. And he knows what the king is whispering in his own bedroom. God reveals it to him. So what does the king of Syria say? Well, go and find out where he is. So I can send troops there and I can seize him, probably kill him. So the report came back to Elisha. So one night, the king sent a great army with many chariots to surround the city of where Elisha was at. You guys ready? 
when the servant of the man of God, when the servant of Elisha, he got up early in the morning, opened up his tent. He went outside, and guess what he saw? All the enemies of Elisha all around him. Can you imagine that? Like, oh my God, we're going to die. What do you think he does? I'm going back into the tent and waking up the man of God. There were troops, there were horses, there were chariots everywhere. So he runs in, he says, oh, sir, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do, Elisha? Look at verse 16. Everyone look at verse 16. Just, just look at verse 16. Don't be afraid. Can, can, I, can I substitute something there? Don't lose yeah, confidence. Have you, have you not seen what I've done? I've already split some waters in half. I've healed people. Have you not seen what God has done? Hey, church, church. Have you not seen what God has already done in your life? Elisha looks and says, have you not seen what God has already You're worried because of this army? Don't lose confidence. Are you losing confidence because of what's surrounding your life? Don't lose confidence. Don't be afraid. Look what he says next. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Yeah, all the amens, right? Amen. But watch this. If you would have been there, that's the last thing you would have said. You would have said, well, where are they? Because in this tent, it's just me and you and it's thousands of them. Where are they if there's more on our side? <laughs> hey, I'm not falling for that one, Elisha. Hey, I'm not giving you an amen. So what does Elisha do? Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. That's what I pray for this church. Lord, open our eyes. For what? Let them see. So the Lord opened up the young man's eyes. I was so nervous. Oh my God, we're going to die. So when he looks up now at the armies that are against him, guess what he sees now? On the hillside, over all the enemies of Elisha, there are horses and chariots of fire. Can I tell you what just happened? so lost because of what the physical presented before him that he lost sight of the spiritual that stands with him that's today's message that's it that we become so lost with what is presented before you physically that you lose out on what Christ has surrounded you with spiritually are you really the bride of Christ or are you not? Get outside and be confident in who you are. Because like Elisha, oh son, we win. This war doesn't end here. We win. What I see physically does not erase what's really there spiritually. And I belong to the supernatural world of God. Though I might be made with flesh and blood and bones, I want you to know there's a spirit man in me that never dies, that lives to be with Christ forever. So though you may kill my body, you will never 
be able to kill my soul. I win. I win. I win. How can I not be confident? Sometimes the answer to having confidence is what? Just open your eyes. Ready? Open my eyes, God. And I think the eyes are eyes of faith. Open my eyes so I could see that this is real. Did you remember how I started off the message? 2 Corinthians 5-7? For we walk by faith. Not by sight. It's time that we blindfold ourselves. Stop being led by the physical things. Listen. Blindfold yourself spiritually. Start being led by the spiritual things. The physical things doesn't lead this church. It's the spiritual things of God. Amen. We walk by the things that we do not see. Not by the things that our eyes might see. So as we end this, I'll paraphrase it so we don't spend too much time on it. Elisha prays and he says, Lord, make this army blind. And they all become blind. And Elisha comes out and says, everyone that's out to kill Elisha, follow me, follow my voice. I will take you to where he's at. And they're all blind. Oh my gosh, we can't see. Okay, we're following you. Everyone hold on to each other. And you know where Elisha takes them? To the heart of Israel. And here's a thousand chariots and horses and men ready to make war. And God says, open their eyes. And all their eyes open. They go, whoa. Guess who's surrounding them? The armies of Israel with their swords ready to kill them. The king of Israel looking down at them. And he says, man of God, what should I do? Should I kill every single one of them because you led them to me? And the man of God says, nah, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Make food. Get the music going. And then we'll send them home. So all the enemies began to eat of his food, drink of his drink, and dance to his music. And when the party was over, I'm going to read to you the last verse. So the king made a great feast for them, and he sent them home to their master, their master. And after that, the Syrian raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. I don't even know what to say. got to stay away from me. Because as much as you come to the confidence, you're going to lose every time. I'm always confident because I have God on my side and I always win. I might be losing this inning. <laughs> I visit two families this week. They just lost a quarter of their life. They lost a third quarter. But they still have a fourth quarter to play. You lost a four-year-old, that's hard. You lost a mom, that's hard. I can't even share. I don't even know what to say next, really. He lost a 31-year-old who, who took his life. That's hard. There's loss in our game, in our life. But it doesn't mean that the final score reflects what the third quarter score says. Just because you're in the fifth inning doesn't mean that the same score is going to be in the ninth inning. Why? Because if you study all of God's characters in the Bible, all of the godly men, there was always a comeback in them. There was always a victory. There was always a young man with a slingshot. There was always something or someone 
that brought forth a victory at the end. Why? Because God's like, you belong to a different world. Don't you get it? You always win. Stay confident. Hebrews, don't throw it away. Why? Receive your reward. How many of you can say amen? Let me ask you a question. Does anyone need prayer? Just prayer about something? I want to open that. Anyone? Can we pray for you? I know we don't do this, come both of you. But we're a body, we're a church, and I want to, I just feel that. Thank you. has uh, leukemia and he's been in uh, intensive care he's not in a coma as we speak though he's been in intensive ICU intensive care yeah only a miracle the doctor says let's just lift up this family can we do that as a church